0: Dean Claus would rather be here reading than where he is recovering from surgery. Uh, And this would maybe be the scripture. There are two sections here from Acts 8. I'll be reading those two sections with a gap in the middle. And uh, I want to start with just a, a wee bit of background because the first verse in chapter 8 says, And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. It seems like it kind of turns on itself, but it wasn't his death Saul was giving approval to. You see, Stephen's death happened as a martyrdom just on the front of this activity, that we're, of the, the, the verses that we're reading today. And Stephen had been accused falsely after some very successful ministries and some, some signs, and uh, was hauled before the Sanhedrin. And what happened out of that was he was asked some questions. He responded to those questions with a sermon. <laughs> that sermon angered some people and they dragged him out of town where they had a good supply of rocks. And who was there? Saul. Hat check duty. He was watching the clothing of the people who took off some garments so that they could throw better. And Saul... Um, was perhaps inspired by that because he went on to persecute the church. We'll see that as, it, as, as I read here. So let's return to the scripture. The church persecuted and scattered is the subheading. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged all men, dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Philip in Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, They all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Simon the Sorcerer. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now, I'm not going to drag you through those verses, but I'll summarize to say that Simon became so impressed at seeing the spirit received by the people when these folks like Philip and Peter and John laid their hands on them and taught them about the Holy Spirit. He said, I want to buy that skill. That looks like a good one. And he was rebuked rather severely and sent on his way, he and his money. We resume now. Philip and the Ethiopian, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official... In charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. What did Philip do? Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. And this is a quote now from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Right here. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb... Before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. From There were no descendants, not directly. Uh, verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about here, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And there's an interruption because verse 37 is not there. It says, See the footnote. The footnote says something like this. Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now let's go back to 38. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, did appear. He appeared as, as Otis and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for this reading of the word of the Lord.
1: The whole adventure got its start one night as I sat in my study reading Life magazine. I merely turned a page and at first glance it seemed there was nothing to interest me. The page showed a pen drawing of a trial taking place in New York City, 350 miles away from my home in rural Pennsylvania. I'd never been to New York and I'd never wanted to go except perhaps to see the Statue of Liberty. I started to flip the page over, but as I did, something caught my eye. It was the eyes of a figure in the drawing of a boy. He was one of seven boys on trial for murder. I held the magazine closer to get a better look. The artist had captured a look of bewilderment, hatred, and despair in the young boy's features. Suddenly, I began to cry. What's the matter with me, I wondered, impatiently brushing away a tear. Then I looked at the picture more carefully. The boys were all teenagers. They were members of a gang called the Dragons. Beneath the picture was a story of how they had been in High Bridge Park in New York when they brutally attacked and killed a 15-year-old polio victim named Michael Farmer. The story revolted me. It literally turned my stomach in our little mountain town, such, se- such things seemed mercifully unbelievable. Yet I was dumbfounded by the next thought that sprang into my head. It came to me full blown, as if from somewhere else. Go to New York and help those boys. The thought startled me. I'd be a fool to do that, I reasoned. I know nothing about kids like these, and I don't want to know anything. It was no use. The idea wouldn't go away. I was to go to New York, and I was to do it at once while the trial was still in progress. Many of you know the name of David Wilkerson. God called him to New York City to work with street gangs and drug addicts. He started the Times Square Church and wrote the book, The Cross and the Switchblade. God moved David Wilkerson out of his comfort zone and it started with an article in Life magazine that challenged him to go make a difference in the lives of the boys he had just read about. Things were going on in Jerusalem. Great success for the church there. But it seems they've forgotten Christ's words to them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so, Gail read about the persecution that was taking place that had suddenly broke out. The stoning of Stephen and then Paul kind of grabbing that and running with it and and beginning to persecute the church. So, it took persecution in the early church to scatter them and then embrace their mission as sent ones. See, it's easy to get comfortable and complacent. But God calls his people to go beyond their comfort zones and to reach others with his help and salvation. But to do that, it requires that we go beyond walls. That we go beyond walls. See that's as as you read this passage, this portion about Philip, he's gone now into Samaria. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other uttermost ends of the earth. Philip has now gone to Samaria. Philip was one of those that was um, ordained, as um, he, along with Stephen, were ordained to make sure that there was an equitable distribution of food to Jewish and Greek widows alike. So his first job in the church was that of a, a servant. And suddenly now here we find him having moved out of that realm and now he's preaching the gospel in Samaria. God had done something. There was a powerful anointing on this man's life just as there had been in the life of Stephen. And here he is now in Samaria. He's gone beyond the walls of Jerusalem or beyond the walls of his church to reach others. We will reach people when we take the message of Jesus Christ beyond the walls and meet them where they are. You know they weren't you know you weren't going to get Samaritans to come to Jerusalem to worship. So if someone is going to take the gospel to Jesus Christ to the Samaritans, they needed to go to Samaria, right? Think about where Jesus ministered to people. On the streets, in the countryside, by the lake shore, in their homes. He didn't spend all of his time in the temple courts or synagogue expecting people to come to him. Jesus went to them. He met them on his turf. So it took persecution then to push the church to preach beyond the walls of Jerusalem. And and I think we need to ask ourselves What will it take to push us us to preach Christ beyond our walls? Well, I think our push to preach beyond the walls has already come. Not in the form of persecution, but in an awareness that we as a church are in decline. We know that if we're not effective in reaching beyond the wall, we will cease to exist in a not too distant future. And I don't think that's what Jesus Christ wants for His church. Philip preached Christ without a pulpit and with great power. And you know, when we reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ and they respond to that, it leads to real results and great joy. When 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 Philip preached Christ in, in Samaria, there was great joy. It said the people responded with great joy. And then down the road, a ways when he when he takes the gospel and explains what's going on in Isaiah to the eunuch in the desert on the desert road, he sent a new believer on his way, rejoicing. Joy is one of the evidences of true conversion. The Ethiopian eunuch went home rejoicing. You know, there is nothing like the joy of new life in Christ. It, 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 is, the, it is the death to life, the, the darkness to life, the hopelessness to purpose thing that happens when people meet Jesus. It, it's something... And, and and we respond with joy when we've when we've gone from death to life, darkness to life, light, hopelessness to purpose, and and our response is joy, and that joy is contagious and can have the effect of bringing vibrancy to the life of the church that mot- motivates us to do even more to see lost people put their faith in Jesus as Savior. But it wouldn't have happened in this case if if the uh, Christians in Jerusalem hadn't been pushed out of the, outside the walls by the persecution that they had suffered. Christ calls His people to go, go beyond their comfort zones to reach others with His saving power. That requires that we are obedient to God's promptings. That requires that we are obedient to God's promptings. From Jerusalem to Samaria, Philip's ministry was blessed because he was focused on faithfully following Christ and sharing Him wherever he went. And so he goes to Samaria and and as we read in the scripture that, that Gail took us through this morning. There was this thing. Great things were happening. I mean, revival was going on. People were being healed. Demons were being cast out. People were putting their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. I mean, talk about successful ministry. It was happening. And then God says, Oh, I want you to take the desert road. Uh, wait a minute, God. There's this great revival going on here right now. And really... This isn't a good time. And so, he stayed in Jer- No. He did what God told him to do. The angel of the Lord told Philip to go south to a desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. It was kind of an unusual command in an unusual place. I mean, go to the desert road out there in the middle of the wilderness. It's a desert road that runs 60 miles from Jerusalem to Gaza. It was the main road from Jerusalem to Egypt and Africa. And here's, here's an interesting thing. Philip is not told why he's supposed to go. He just God just said, go to the road, to the desert road.
0: Okay...
1: In fact, he's not told anything about the ministry he's to perform or to whom. He's simply instructed to go in a certain direction and he obeyed. In verse 29, and the Spirit said then to Philip, He's gone now to the desert road. And there is probably an entourage, actually. It probably wasn't just the eunuch in his chariot. There was probably an entourage. It was it was always safer to travel through these lonely places with others. And it's likely that when this man, because he was an official in Queen Candace's court, made his journey to Jerusalem, he probably came with an entourage anyway. Someone of that station in in life would have not traveled alone, but would have traveled with a group. And so, here's Philip on the road to the desert, and here's this group of people passing by, there would probably have been others close to the chariot, and God says to Philip, go up and join this chariot. In the original language, the Greek language, basically it means something like this, go up and stick to that thing like glue. And so Philip ran over. And and again, because um, they're traveling in a group of people, the the Ethiopian official would have not would not have thought it strange that there might be some others close to that chariot you see what's going on here for Philip listening to God and doing what God told him to do was a habit it's a good habit to be in philip was so used to following god's lead that he didn't he didn't even second guess where he was going. He just went. And, and because Philip obediently followed what God told him to do, he encounters this man, this Ethiopian eunuch. And this, he was the eunuch was a very influential man. He was a court official of the Queen of Ethiopia and was in charge of her treasury. Now, let me say something here, and I don't know what you've always thought, Um, when you've read this passage, I've tended to think this way. The term eunuch could be applied in a physical sense, but was also used of any confidential officer or counselor of state. The feeling of many of the commentators that I've read was that this man was actually probably the latter, uh, a confidential officer or counselor of state, not necessarily physically a eunuch. Now, it wasn't unusual that there were eunuchs in the service of the court. Um, There were reasons for that. But um, they think that possibly this man, that it was a terminology used for people that had these places of high office, and that may have been the situation with this gentleman, although there's no certainty about that. But Philip was a man willing to serve God and his church in any capacity. He was willing to serve as a deacon, which is how he started. He was willing to go to Samaria and preach there. And he was also willing to walk for miles to preach the gospel to one Ethiopian. When God commanded, he immediately obeyed. We need to say yes to God's promptings. See, promptings without follow-through are missed breakthroughs. Promptings without follow-through are missed breakthroughs. In October 1857, J. Hudson Taylor began to minister in Ningpo, China. And he led Mr. Nhi to Christ. The man was overjoyed and wanted to share his faith with others. And he asked, how long, have you had the go- how long have you had the gospel known in England? Taylor acknowledged that England had known the gospel for many centuries. Mr. Nee said, my father died seeking the truth. Why didn't you come sooner? Hudson Taylor had no answer to that question. Think of the opportunity missed had Philip not said yes to God's promptings when he told him to go to the desert road and to stick to that chariot like glue. A soul would have gone on without knowing that the prophecy of Isaiah had been fulfilled in Jesus. He would not have known the forgiveness of sins possible through the suffering and death of the Messiah, he would have gone on his way that day unchanged. But everything changed because someone was obedient to God's promptings. Christ calls his people to go beyond their comfort zones to reach others with his help, with his saving grace. That requires that we be available for divine appointments. That requires that we be available for divine appointments. Listen, if we are available for God's divine appointments and assignments, He will reach people. Uh, A publication called the Sunday School Times once had this in it. It said, it was on the Jericho Road that Zacchaeus climbed up to the climbed up the tree to see Jesus as he was passing by. Jesus sees the opportunity to have dinner with him and dwell in his heart. It was on the Jericho Road that two blind men called to Jesus as he was passing by. Jesus seized the opportunity to restore their sight. It was on the Jericho Road that an injured man was crying for help as a Samaritan was passing by. The good Samaritan sees the opportunity to take care of him. The Jericho road is the road of opportunity and it runs by your home, by your shop, by your office. And there is always a certain man there. Now the question is, are we letting those opportunities pass us by or are we seizing them to share Christ? See, when we approach others with genuine love and interest, we will find that they are more ready than we realize to talk about faith. God did not send Philip out into the desert road to deal with a guy that wasn't even thinking about God. What was he doing? He was reading the prophet of Isaiah. Listen, God was way ahead of Philip on this deal, wasn't he? This guy was ready for what Philip had to present to him, to share with him. God was working ahead of Philip. This was a divine appointment. What if he'd failed to keep it? God is at work way ahead of us. A a pastor of East Indian descent, a Christian pastor in the United States now, shares this story of his father. This took place in India, and he says this. In the year 1992, my father went to a person's house in a nearby town for a work-related appointment. When he reached the house, the person he was supposed to meet was not at home. His family welcomed my father inside with a cup of tea and asked him to wait for some time. During those days, there were no cell phones, so my father had no choice but to wait for the person. As he was waiting, he noticed something unusual in that house. There were no statues and images of any gods and goddesses. In Hinduism, there are 330 million gods And people worship as many gods as they possibly can in order to please them. Talk about burdensome religion. The belief is, if you please the God of education, you will be blessed with wisdom and you will achieve great education. If you please the God of wealth, you will be blessed with a lot of wealth and so on. Coming from a Hindu Brahmin or priestly family... Uh, background: My father was in complete shock. Thousands of questions ran through his mind immediately and he started asking, why don't you have any idol or image of any God in your house? It was the very question that family was waiting to hear from my father. So they could start sharing the good news of the gospel. So they did. Divine appointment. They explained that, that they only worship one living God who dwells in their heart, not in images or idols. My father thought he could just add that one more God to his list of 330 million gods and see how that worked. But that family explained to him that when he has that only God who is Jesus, he doesn't need 330 million gods anymore. He will give peace and eternal life all by Himself. After listening to the testimony of that family for about an hour and reading a few pages of the Bible, my father decided to accept Jesus into his heart. The family couldn't believe it was real and they asked him, Are you serious? Do you really want to believe in Jesus? My father said yes and he prayed to receive Christ right then and there. After spending that life transformed After spending that life... uh, I I don't know what I put here. After spending... His life was transformed in that house. That's what it's supposed to say. My father came home rejoicing in his newfound faith in Jesus. Man, no matter how many times I edit these things. Reaching people is God's job. We need to be available for Him and for them. That's what happened. This family was ready, ready and waiting for God to use them in the life of anyone He brought their way. A divine appointment. He is reaching people. God is reaching people and He wants to use us to do it. But too often we don't make ourselves available and we have excuses for our reticence. Many people would say, well, witnessing is not my thing. Or, I'm not an evangelist, I don't have that gift. Or, I don't know how to share the gospel. Or, I'm scared they will reject me. Or, I don't know enough about the Bible. Or, what if they ask me a question I can't answer? Think about the people God used that had excuses. Moses, well God, I don't talk so good. Gideon, I'm the most ins- insignificant guy in all of Israel. Jeremiah, I'm only a child. Jonah, I don't even like these people. <laughs> Years ago when we were pastoring in eastern Oregon, um, I think it was the first time our church had ever taken or gone on a work and witness trip. And we had a work and witness coordinator in our church who was advertising this thing. We're going to go to Honduras and do a building project there. And um, there was some hesitation to commit because there was a lot of concern about lack of building experience and skill. Oh, I, I can't go because... And so Frank... The leader of uh, the coordinator came up with these posters that advertised the trip. And at the bottom, it said this God doesn't want your ability, He wants your availability. God doesn't want your ability, He wants your availability. I think during my tenure there, we went to Honduras four times and we had great teams every time we went. Now listen, God doesn't want your ability. He wants your availability. That's not only true of work and witness trips. It's also true when God calls us to reach people. God doesn't want your ability. He wants your availability. Listen, Philip started out as a deacon who served food. And it ended up being this... Powerful preacher of the gospel and God did great things through him and then goes to this desert road and ministers to this guy, one man, and who knows the impact that that had for eternity, not only in that man's life, but in the nation that he had a high position of authority in. Bill Bright said this, Success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. I probably share this well, it's a quote from a, a, a mentor of mine who said to me years ago, with God there's neither success nor failure, there's only obedience. And what, what he meant by that was, your job is to go. The results are in God's hands. I think sometimes when we answer God's call on our lives and He tells us to go and we respond, we think, well, we got to hit a home run here. But God's the one who determines the outcome. We just have to go and do what He tells us to do, right? Right? And then, listen, Jesus didn't... Jesus wasn't successful in every encounter that he had with people, was he? Remember the rich young ruler who walked away sad? Do you remember that? It's our job to go, isn't it? As a believer, we are to witness for Christ, and he will direct us to be his witness. Being witness is not an option, it's a command. We are to go. We have to leave the outcome to God. We go. We do what He tells us to do. I, I, I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier, but I remember when the Schmelzenbahs first went to Africa. I found, I forget how long it was. It was years before they had their first convert. Years. Were they failures? Were they successful? That was up to God. They did what He told them to do. We have to lead the outcome to God. It's not our job to bring the person to Christ. Our job is to share the gospel. We do our part. God does His part. And His part is saving souls. We don't save anyone. Only God can do that. Divine Appointments. Christ calls His people to go beyond their comfort zones to reach others with His saving grace. That requires that we understand who Jesus uses. Who Jesus uses. Jesus will use whoever, that means any or all of us, wherever, At home, at work, at play, doing business on a service project or mission trip. And with whatever, usually common ground of some kind. Fishing, shooting, metalworking, knitting, crocheting, quilting, cooking, eating, gardening, boating, hiking, birding, and the list goes on to reach people. We find common ground. We connect with them. God uses what's in your hand? What are you doing now? What are they doing now? Jesus will use whoever, wherever, and with whatever He wants, He desires to reach people. See, He's not limited in His ability to reach our world. Too often, it's our lack of faith that can serve as, can, can serve as the limitation. Uh, and it can be our lack of faith in, that God could use me or that God will do something in this circumstance or situation. Do we really believe God wants to use us and can use us to reach people for Jesus in the kingdom? And if we do if we do believe that God wants to use us and can use us to reach people for the kingdom what are we doing about it What are we doing about it Jesus reached this ruler through Philip and the ruler then when that ruler then went home to influence a nation You never know what God might do on a lonely desert road. That's the value of one, by the way, in God's eyes. The value of one. Philip's bold faith in his willingness to preach Christ wherever God led him should challenge us as witnesses in the day we live in. Are there people in our community who God is ready to reach if we will just Respond to His promptings. Remember, God's way ahead of us. If God is prompting you to go to someone, he's, he's already been at work there. Are there people in our community who God is ready to reach if we will just respond to His promptings? It is time for us to say yes to wherever God is leading us And to go now and be the church. Go now and be the church. Pray with me. Father, I know this. This whole story about Philip and Samaria and going out into the middle of nowhere, not knowing why, it's convicting to me. It's his willingness to be used by you, to do what you told him to, to go beyond the walls, to be sensitive to your promptings, to understand that when you called him to run up to that chariot and stick to it like glue, that was a divine appointment. And then to understand, Father, that you will use whoever you please, wherever you please and whatever you please, to reach people. Because that's your heart, and that needs to be our heart too. And we may never know, as we have opportunity to share the saving grace of Jesus Christ in someone's life, what the value of that one life will be down the road. I'm not sure Philip ever knew what the value of leading that Ethiopian eunuch to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not sure Philip ever knew what what ripple effects that would have. But he did it because that's what you told him to do. And so, Father, in these closing moments this morning, and we're just going to take a few moments... To commit as people, first of all, Lord God, yes, I am, we are willing to go beyond the walls. Holy Spirit, give us the courage. Give us the boldness. Give us the passion. Oh God, we will be obedient to your promptings. When you say go, we will go. May it become a habit in our lives to just to do what you tell us to do. Even when we don't know how that's all going to work out, even when we don't know all the reasons why, we will be obedient to your promptings. Father, to understand that when You do tell us to go, to connect with someone, to interface with their lives, that that is a divine appointment. You have been there ahead of us. To know, Father, that at work and you two called us to that divine appointment for a reason, and then, to be willing, Father, as we're obedient, to lead the results in your hands. We have done as faithful servants what you have called us to do. And then to remember that these things apply to me, to us. Because you will use whoever. You will use wherever. You will use whatever (laughs) to reach people, lost people, broken people, hurting people, gang members, drug addicts, atheists, cultists, illegal immigrants, prostitutes. Sexually confused, broken, you use us to reach them with the love of Christ. Oh God, this morning, my prayer is that we will accept the challenge to reach people to go beyond the walls. For the sake of Jesus, and the kingdom, and your love for lost people. We commit these things to you today, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How you doing? Good. Well, thank you for being here today. God bless you as you go this morning. Go in grace and peace.